0: I'll be joined by my wonderful co-host Kim and special guest Jenna Lab. You
1: can register at mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge for a fantastic learning experience. That's mathisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. Now on to
0: the show. Hey, fellow mathematicians! Welcome to the podcast where math is figureoutable. I'm Pam, and I'm Kim. And we make the case that Mathematizing is not about mimicking steps or rote-memorizing facts, but it's about thinking and reasoning, about creating and using mental relationships. That math class can be less like it has been for so many of us, and more like mathematicians working together. We take the strong stance that not only are algorithms not particularly helpful in teaching, but that mimicking algorithms actually keeps students from being the mathematicians they can be. We answer the question, if not algorithms and step-by-step procedures, then what?
1: So in the last two episodes, we began the conversation around models and modeling, right? And how it's important to consider the progression of modeling. First, the model of the situation, then the model of student thinking, and then using that model as a tool.
0: And in this progression of modeling, notice that it's not about any model. It's about models that can become tools, important tools. So in this episode, we're going to get specific about a couple of recently popular models that we think should be de-emphasized and what we can do instead. So y'all, I often get asked about what I think about number bonds and tape diagrams, or sometimes called strip diagrams, and how they play out in some current textbooks. People Mm -hmm. wonder about that. People are really curious about how they fit. I think people might be noticing that we don't use those two models at
1: At all. So, Pam, let's start with number bonds. What is a number bond? And will you describe a number bond for the listeners?
0: Okay, so I think a number bond is a well intentioned idea of helping kids focus on the relationships at hand, focus on what's sort of happening in the problem. And so it looks like this often it looks like circles. And those circles, there's two circles that are sort of the parts, and those circles are kind of connected to this larger, the whole. And so there's like a big circle that's the whole, and two circles that are the parts. And so, yeah, like explaining this over over podcast is trippy. So like, uh, Kim, pick a number. Um, sixty five. Okay. So a number bond for 65 could be, I put 65 in sort of the total place. And then I kind of draw two lines that come off of that circle. And I draw two smaller circles and I could say 60 in one and five in the other, or I could do a different number bond where I could have 65 as the total and I can have 50 in one and 15 in the other, mm-hmm. or I could even have one where I have 65 in the total and I could have 70 in one and five in the other because I'm sort of 70 minus five is 65. And then I might have to play around with which one's bigger and all the things. Okay. So it's, it's like, sort of like, how are these numbers related to each other? All right. So let's also talk about the other ones we talked about number bonds. that's what they look like Kim, what's a tape diagram or strip diagram?
1: Yeah. So a tape diagram is a rectangular box, maybe with uh, a couple of empty spaces where Students would take numbers from a problem they're given and they um, are supposed to put the numbers in the correct spot. So like if it was a missing add-in problem, they might fill in one part and the total, uh, the numbers from the problem, and then they need to find the other part. It's, It's a way to organize information from the problem.
0: Yeah, exactly. So I might have the total kind of outside the rectangle I've seen where um, I might have one rectangle. And like you just said, the parts are inside mm-hmm. and the totals kind of outside the rectangle. Mm-hmm. I've also seen it where the total is its own rectangle. And then the parts are kind of a rectangle below that cut in pieces. And you sort of put the parts uh, in, in in that second rectangle that is the same size as the total. Okay. So Let's talk about how those two models are, in a way, a model of the situation. So, we've talked about our modeling context that we like, where kind of the beginning step is a model of the situation. Mm -hmm. And so, in a big way, we feel like number bonds and strip diagrams are models of the situation, Mm -hmm. they are an attempt. To get the relationships out there to make them visible. So, which one's the part? Which one's the whole? Oh, do you have two parts, and you need to find the whole? And so, both of those models could sort of help, kind of get that um, understood. If you if you think about a problem solving step by step procedure, which we don't advocate, but often that first thing is understand the problem. Yep. Right. It's it's like important. And why is that the first thing? Well, because it's important to understand the problem or you're probably not going to solve it correctly. So of course we need to understand the problem. And so this is a well, my number bonds and and strip diagrams are a well-intentioned attempt to say to kids, understand the problem. Where it can go awry is when we demand that kids draw it every time. If I'm a kid who already understands what's happening in the problem, I don't think it's very helpful to demand that I draw the number bond or the strip diagram. It's just like an extra step that it doesn't help me. It's not if I understand it. If I'm the kid who doesn't understand what's going on in the problem, it might help to draw the number diagram or the strip diagram, the number bond or the strip diagram. It might help to do that. But often it also becomes like sort of this extra thing to do that it's like, how big do I draw the rectangle? And does it need to be tall? (laughs) Kids like pay attention to all this weird stuff that doesn't even have anything to do with the problem itself. So it kind of becomes like this extraneous thing that may or may not be helpful. So do we want kids to understand what's happening? Absolutely. So. Also, another thing that can kind of get in the way. Um, so, think CGI. Um, have we have we done a podcast episode on CGI? Oh gosh, we-, we we surely we've mentioned it. <laughs> if we haven't, we'll do one soon. But if you're not familiar with cognitively guided instruction, um, we really. Uh, appreciate cognitively guided instruction, which is referred to as CGI, because they did a lot of really groundbreaking research that then has allowed us to build on that research. But sometimes we get a little, we might, we we might have the opportunity to get a little bit mixed up here. In CGI, there's a strategy called direct modeling. Direct modeling is all about acting out what's actually happening in the problem. A good, a good thing, right? Another well meaning, like let's model what's going on in the problem. That's, that can be a very necessary thing for kids to do when they are beginning problem solvers. I need to like actually act out what's happening. And then I use that acting out to help me solve the problem. But that can be different than a model of the situation because it can be, uh, how do I say this? direct modeling is where you're actually like acting out the problem. What's actually happening in the problem. Strip diagrams and number bonds are less of acting out the problem and more of the, um, of a a model of the relationships at hand, a model of the relationships that are happening in the problem. But what's interesting is all of those are a model of the situation in our framework whether I'm acting out the problem to understand it and to solve it, maybe just say to understand it, whether I'm acting it out and I'm direct modeling, or I'm drawing a number bond, a strip diagram as, as, as getting the relationships out, what's happening in the problem, we would consider all of that the, the model of the situation. That's right. sort of the beginning of our kind of modeling scenario here, or, yep. our, the way that we think about modeling. So it might be true that a student needs to act out the problem, directly model the problem with actions or drawing what's actually happening. And that's fine. And we would call that a model of the situation. But we can also be more abstract in general, like the number bond and and strip or tape diagram, where it's more of a graphic of the relationships involved. It's less the action that's happening. Either way, these models of the situation set up the relationships. Right. What they don't do is represent what you're actually doing to solve the problem, how you're actually using the relationships to compute. Yeah. So let me get a little bit more specific. I know I'm doing a lot of like uh, not very example discussion here. So let's get examples. Let's get to some examples. So what's an example of a number bond and how it can be helpful um, and maybe less helpful than we might've been led to believe. So here's a a problem. Let's say, hey, we're reading. We like to read. Kim and I both read. Reading's good. Um, We're on page 195 of the book and there are 303 pages in the book. Hey, how much do we have left to read? That could be a great problem, right? So everybody, there's the problem. We need kids first to understand the problem. We don't want kids flipping a coin um, and just grabbing the numbers. 195, 303, and, and like adding them or multiplying them or dividing. Them. We don't want that sure. to happen. We want them to actually understand what's happening. So kids could draw a number bond or a tape diagram with, uh, let's uh, a number bond first. They could put 195 in one little circle and 303 in the 303 in the total circle, and then uh, a blank in the other sort of part circle, the other smaller circle. Like that, that's how they could sort of like, okay, I know what's happening. I've got 303 in the total. That 303 is the total number of pages. And I, I, I'm at 195, so that's part. And then I have this other part, the, the pages I have left to read. I could also do that on a tape diagram. I could have the whole rectangle be 303. And then I could have that second rectangle where I've cut it and I've put a 195 in part of it. And I need to find the other part of that second rectangle, the empty part to find. But now what? We've represented the situation, the scenario. We've got it. We, We understand what's happening. But now how do we find that missing part? Okay, so Kim, how might a kid solve that problem?
1: Right, and here's the important part, right? So if I'm thinking about 303 minus 195, I might say 303 minus 200 and get 103. And then I've subtracted too much so I can add back that five to get 108.
0: Bam. And you used a nice over strategy. You thought about that problem as subtraction and you subtracted a bit too much and then you added back. Nice. Super. That's the strategy. That's we're focusing on how students are solving that problem. And that was a very nice, sophisticated strategy. Super. So now as a teacher, in our sort of way that we think about modeling, now it's time for our second thing where I would take what Kim just did. And I would model that. I would make it visible. I would draw an open number line and I would start at 303 and I would draw this big jump back of 200. And I would say, Where'd you land again? Land on 103. And then I would say, Kim, what'd you do again? Or uh, depending on how much I'm working with the student. And she says, Well, I subtracted too much. And so I'm like, How much too much? She said, Five too much. So then I would draw back uh, the jump shouldn't be shouldn't have been as long so I would back up five and then okay so what is that 103 and then up that five so now we're at 108 and I would draw that 108 and I would go hey does this represent what you just did look at check it out the relationships you just used now they are visible we can use this open number line to make that visible cool then over time I can ask that kid hey you've seen me represent your thinking you've seen me do that a few times. Now, the next time you do that over strategy, I want you to represent your thinking. Now, you make your thinking visible, just like we've done. Cool. Then, over time, and with lots of experience, that model becomes a tool, and kids might actually use that model to solve that problem. That's our hope. That's our modeling sequence. Okay. So, Kim, what if a kid had used a different strategy? Same problem. Sure.
1: So, a couple of other strategies, right? So, here's one. What if I found the difference between 195 and 303. So that might look like the teacher drawing a number line. Uh, So let me describe what I would do first. So if I had 195, then I could add five to get to 200. And then I could just add 103 to get to the 303. So add five to 200 and then add 103 to get to 303. And then that would look like a teacher drawing the number line with the 195 on one end and the 303 on the other end and making those hops that I just described kind of on on top of the number line to show the plus five and the plus 103, which is the total of 108.
0: Excellent. And you would, you would write all that out. The teacher would, would model, would model that students thinking, represent that students thinking. Sometimes people call it annotating students thinking. I don't really like that so much. Um, uh, maybe we'll bring that up in a, in a minute. <laughs> I, I like I like representing the students thinking, using that number line, because we know that's an important, powerful tool. But you said a couple strategies. All right, give me another one. Um, so well, how about you give me one? <laughs> I just give you two. Okay. So if I'm thinking about 195 and 303 and uh-huh. the distance between them, I might choose to find that somewhere slightly different. I might put them both on the number line and nudge them up both five. So now oh, okay. I'm finding, uh, so now I'm finding the distance or difference between 200 and 308 because nice. I've, I've moved both of them up five. Because 308 minus 200, bam, is nice. just 108, and I'm yeah. just there and, and I'm sort of done. And that we call that the constant difference strategy. Yeah. So as we just talked about this kind of sequence of modeling. I have gotten to the point now where when I solve subtraction problems, I think on an open number line. It has become a tool for reasoning for me. But funny, are you ready? When I just did that, if you guys could have seen me, I literally had my hands in the air and I put one hand where I could see 195 and I put another hand where I could see 303, 303, Mm -hmm. and I moved them both to the right, up five. Yep. So that I could see that 200 and see that 308 and then I could solve the problem. Yeah. Now I didn't, it took me way longer to discuss what I did yes. than it did for me to just, I just like my hands were there and I went, and it took me way shorter to solve that problem. Way more efficient to solve that problem. But it would have, can you imagine the traditional algorithm for 303 minus 195? Wow. All those opportunities for Lots everyone. of crossy parties. So <laughs> Lots of crossy oddies. Again, over time and with lots of experience that model becomes a tool and then kids and me actually use it to solve problems notice that the model that we're advocating is an open number line that is a tool worth building it is
1: and i'm going to go back for a second because i think you you mentioned something that we kind of glossed over and the really really important thing that i think you just said was that over time you ask a kid hey when your brain does that it can look like this. Does this match what your brain did, right? Because we Mm. want to represent their thinking. So we just talked about a model that we love for subtraction and really addition too, and that's the open number line. Mm -hmm. But for multiplication, division, and proportional reasoning problems, Pam, what's your preferred
0: model? Yeah, that's a really good question because we started talking about strip diagrams and tape diagrams, and that's uh, often where we see tape and strip diagrams, we see those, I'm saying them like they're two different things. They're just called those, so maybe I should choose one, strip diagrams. We see those often in proportional reasoning problems where we sort of set up what's happening in the proportion and then we can kind of think about the relationship and those ratios and then we can kind of solve them. But how do we solve them? That's the rub, right? Like it's just the setup. It's just a strip diagram only helps me get a feel for what's happening. It doesn't then help me use the numbers and the structure to solve the problem. It definitely doesn't model what I do to solve the problem. It just sort of sets up the scenario, the situation. So in episode 58, we actually walked through kind of a way that we use ratio tables. We use our modeling paradigm to think about setting up a ratio table. And I use sticks of gum. So if I have sticks of gum in a pack, then I can think about uh, how I can model that situation by I start putting down in a table. Okay, I've got one pack to 17 sticks. And I've got two packs to how many sticks? And as kids say those numbers, I put them in the table. And it's a model of the situation. And then as they solve problems, I model their thinking. I represent their thinking using scaling or using lines to sort of, I'm adding packs together. So I add the sticks together or I'm scaling as I double the packs or as I timed, I multiply the packs times 10, then I multiply the sticks times 10 and I represent all that thinking I'm on the ratio table. That's the model of thinking. And the more that we do that and through time and experience that that tool becomes a model for thinking, well, I can do the same kind of a thing with a non-unit rate scenario. So if I have something like four slices of pizza for $5, I represent that scenario. First, it's a model of the scenario of the context where I put the four slices of pizza for, uh, for $5. And then as students think about different numbers of slices and the cost or different amounts of money and the number of slices of pizza I get, as they solve those problems, I represent their thinking using that ratio table. And our goal is then to transition to where that ratio table becomes a tool for thinking in order to think. And now students, when they see a proportion, they think to themselves, oh, well, how, does that, how does that fit in a ratio table? And now how do I use, I, oh, I can use that ratio table as a tool for thinking.
1: So in a nutshell, these other models that we've been talking about are not bad or wrong. They're just really limited. They can help students slow down and evaluate what evaluate what's happening. It's just a format, though. And in any case, it doesn't help you decide what to do with the numbers, like you said. But teachers think it does. It's like manipulatives yeah. where we think the math is embodied in the manipulative. But that's only because we've already schematized it. Not because we can now just show what we worked out and have it magically transfer to our students.
0: Teachers, oh, that's so well said. Yeah. Magically teachers, transfer, you probably,
1: yeah. teachers have probably seen this a ton, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you might've seen a student who may or may not be able to take the numbers from a word problem and figure out where to place them in a type, tape diagram. Maybe they can do that. But even if they're able to, many of them get stuck in knowing how they want to mess with the numbers
0: yeah, even if they get to that point, now they're there. Yeah. And what do we do next? And what we haven't done is help teachers know what to do next. Well, voila, we are helping you uh, hopefully know what to do next year. Ask lots of good problems. Pull out that thinking of kids. You represent their thinking using a very important model that then can become a tool for them to solve problems with. So it's helpful to figure out what's in a problem. Okay, okay. You can do it in other ways, but tape diagrams, number bonds, fine way. It's it's, it's fine, but don't get caught in demanding that from students because number bonds and tape diagrams are not particularly helpful to know how to mess with the numbers after that. And they're also not the models that we believe will become the tools we want students to become really familiar with so that they can use them as tools for thinking and reasoning and mathematizing. All right. So, if you want to learn more mathematics and refine your math teaching so that you and students are mathematizing more and more, then join the Math is Figure Outable movement and help us spread the word that math is figure outable. Thank you for listening and making math more figure outable. To learn even more, make sure you register for our
1: free challenge at maththisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. You are not going to want to miss the evenings of May 15th through 17th, starting at 7 p.m. Central.
0: Math teaching, math teaching. Go register now. That's maththisfigureoutable.com slash challenge. Join us to make math more and more figureoutable. And if you can't join live, register and we'll send you access to the recordings. We'll see you there.